0: A podcast in the making for the best part of a year. Two experienced journalists dipping their toes into a stormy sea of spies, geopolitics and cross-cultural ethical judgments.
1: In this four-part series, we're asking, can New Zealand continue to walk the thin red line between what some see as an evil empire?
0: But others see as our greatest economic opportunity and the centre of a new world order. Some of the blowback to this project has been severe, accusations of racism and xenophobia. I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, I'm sitting down with Red Line co-host Guyon Espiner to talk about the making and intent of this four-part RNZ podcast, exploring the nature of New Zealand's relationship with China. Whose idea was this in the first place? John Daniel. Uh
1: (laughs) Um, And it originated out of the service podcast that we did, John, Daniel and I, which looked at the SIS's role in the Cold War and the attempts by the KGB to infiltrate the political system in New Zealand. And we thought quite obviously after that, well, look, this is this is happening now, right now, not in the 80s in the Cold War, mm. and let's let's uh, sub out Russia for China and have a look at this thing. So that's where we started, um, and that's what we started looking for, and we went out looking for that, but came back with something very different.
0: If you were describing it in one sentence during the conception of the podcast, what were you trying to do?
1: Show the extent of CCP influence in New Zealand. Mm. That was the mission statement, and I think you you go out and journalistically you you then go and let's be honest you go let's let's try and find and uncover the 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 most egregious examples and 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 let's blow this thing up that that tends to be the journalistic drive Um, And I think the beauty of a podcast is that it isn't that simple. Mm. There's a lot of nuance in it, and there's a lot of doubt from the two of us as well as we go along and try and uncover this stuff. So I think we came back with something quite different from the mission that we started out with.
0: Redline is made up of four podcast episodes, 34 to 40 minutes long, which examine different aspects of China's presence in New Zealand. It looks at issues like the Chinese government using investment to buy influence in the Pacific, the presence of the United Front in New Zealand, the propaganda arm of the Chinese government. It asks whether China may have tried to use MPs to wield influence in the New Zealand Parliament and what stance New Zealand has and should take towards the Uyghur people's crisis in Xinjiang, among others. The overarching theme is questioning. China is a massive and growing power. It could well be the global superpower of the future. We have a close economic relationship and a burgeoning cultural relationship. But New Zealand is a democracy. China is not. New Zealand's values appear, in many ways, to be very different from China's. It's not a country that values freedom and transparency the way we do. the geopolitical theatre, we don't know much about what China is doing or what it wants. You're a smart guy. You keep an eye on on geopolitics. You think about these sorts of things. Presumably you would have had an opinion on China, geopolitical force, member of the, you know, world. What was your opinion of China going into it?
1: Well, I probably was less of a of a China sceptic or viewing them as a force for evil than, than perhaps some. And I think, uh, as Seeming Mok says in the podcast, my view may have been formed in the earlier part of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. I went to China actually on a um, to, to cover a trip by John Key in around 2009, 2010 for TVNZ, um, and I went back to China, so I've been a couple of times, and at that point, before President Xi took over, that was quite an optimistic time. And the world viewed China very differently. And you, you need to go back to that time in, in your mind in some ways. Because the China that we signed the free trade agreement with, that China was, yeah, look, I mean, we, we, we laughed in the hotel rooms when the um, CNN went blank because Helen Clark was talking about human rights. And so, so one of the cyber police had just hit a button and, and it was gone. And you couldn't click the links to uh, Tiananmen Square and Google. And we thought that was kind of funny and funny. We knew, so we knew, look, this is not a democracy this mm. is this is an environment that suppresses free speech and, and, and it is not the you know the country that we know uh, mm. or by any means a democracy that's obvious, but there was hope there that that China was slowly coming into the into the world that we see and the rules based order, if you like, and that the feeling was that capitalism would lead to democracy and lead to more openness at least. So that was the China that I first encountered as, a, as an adult, as a, as a journalist. Um, obviously, going into this, it, things have darkened quite a lot, so I did have that scepticism. But I was relatively open-minded, I hope, and I think, and I, I swerved around all over the place making this.
0: Because, like you say, things have sort of darkened with the world's, well, certainly the Western world's, image of China, I think it's fair to say, over the past decade, decade and a half. But, and you point this out in the podcast as well, the achievements of that country in modernising, phenomenal.
1: Absolutely. And John Key makes the case very strongly for that.
0: They still see themselves as an emerging nation. So they would say, "Well, we have three or four hundred million people in poverty. Our big goal is to essentially—this I, I, is a bit of a crude way of saying it—but Singapore on steroids. It's it's to to it's to develop the country to a point where they are smart, efficient, actually environmentally quite sound, um, lifting people out of poverty and giving people opportunity and hope."
1: And if you take only that line, it is extraordinary what what they have done, but. We don't all only take that line, do we? Mm. And I think that that's fair enough. And so it's very confronting because you've got that and then you've got what's happening to, to the weaker people in Xinjiang. Mm. And you think, gee, how can, we, how can we countenance that? And that's when you start collapsing into whataboutism
0: because you get a lot of that. I could name you many, many countries where we would say there are human rights concerns. I'm not, I'm not in any way minimising some real concerns in China, but I'm just simply saying it's not as simple as saying they're bad, everyone else is good. And then you go,
1: oh, what about America? They invaded Iraq and blew up the Middle East and, and, you know, they have the death penalty too and you start getting into those situations. So, yeah, look, it is true that um, China have done incredibly well lifting people out of poverty and it's something of a modern miracle um, what they have achieved. Yet there are very dark elements of China and, uh, to me, the the suppression of of free speech and the suppression of, of any scintilla of democracy in Hong Kong worries me too. Mm. Um, And so, yeah, it's multifaceted, isn't it?
0: Was this an unusual project in that when you were hitting it, I mean, you must have known that many of the questions you were asking, you wouldn't be able to answer. Yes. I would say that this would be the hardest project I've ever undertaken.
1: I felt quite out of my depth a lot of the time. And even finishing the project, I feel like a novice on China. We we went and interviewed a, a business person, quite a successful business person, who who re- relayed the story about pressure that he was coming under from the CCP. And, and a guy had pulled up in a car, opened up the um, the bonnet, and showed him a whole bunch of fake number plates, to, uh-huh. t- as some sort of. Intimidation device.
0: If I've got these, who knows what else I've got?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's that's how we took it to be. We couldn't verify it. We couldn't. We didn't quite know what the significance of it was. I mean, that's a small example. I also spent. I, I don't think you mind me saying this. I spent um, quite a number of days trying to figure out who it was that bought John Key's house. I know the name of the person, but what's the significance of this person? Were they because um, they paid many millions of dollars for it? Anyone can Google it. But it was this person what were their affiliation? I worked with two or three people in New Zealand and a guy in Australia and we still couldn't work out who this guy was mm. So it, when you're dealing with a different language and a different culture It's really, really difficult mm. to get inside some of those things And actually find the significance of it So I found it it's, um, it's very, very challenging
0: Yeah, I mean you mentioned one of the big points of episode 3 Is the fact that you almost got played
1: James seemed like a promising voice to include in this podcast He's media savvy, what we'd call good talent. I have a close relationship with media, including Chinese media. A day or two after John had called James, I got a rather aggressive message from Anne-Marie Brady. Why were we talking to United Front operatives? It turns out James had gone on Chinese social media and written a long post in Chinese about how he was going to be interviewed for this podcast and put out some comments that looked to us like CCP talking points. We had very nearly been played. Anne-Marie Brady is fluent in Chinese and in the ways of the United Front. John and I were ignorant on both fronts, and there's no way we would have known.
0: Was there ever a feeling that, holy crap, we are out of our depth here, we could do more harm than good? Yes, it. yes, there was, there
1: was. And there's some, some of those gut-wrenching moments. I felt a bit sick at that point when I got that message from Anne-Marie Brady. Because
0: if that can happen, a whole lot of stuff could happen. Yeah, right?
1: and, and, and the dissidents that we talk about, and they, they, they describe themselves as such, I'm not belittling them at all. They're, they're, they're great New Zealanders, in my view. I mean, they're, they're doing some brave stuff. Some of the, the guys, I went and visited them three times in, in their place in West Auckland um, and the New Zealand Values Alliance. And they uh, are anti CCP and think they're doing bad things and are standing up to them. That's brave stuff. And they were upset too. And I was like, oh my God, like, have I blown this relationship up? And uh, I hope I'm not hurting anyone here. So I had no idea. But the important thing for that too, it's not just a personal thing, is that we could have gone to this guy who was saying, hey, look, there's 24 million people in Xinjiang. 23 million of them are doing fine. Yeah, there might be a million in concentration camps, but hey. Lower beverages, yeah. Yeah, 23 million are fine, which to me is absurd. And actually, uh, you know I mean, it is what it is I mean I, how could you how could you dismiss it in that way that 's my view, but you see so th- they are kind of CCP talking points, um, and that 's kind of what the, what the United Front kind of is, but it 's so subtle, and especially when you, when you don 't know these United Front groups because they 're not obvious they don 't go around with a sticker on their head they 've got these benign sounding um, banal names. As New Zealander uh, who doesn't speak uh, Chinese, you've got, you've got no real idea. So, y- yeah, that was a point where we felt massively out of our depths, And I think it's okay to say that in the podcast because that's where New Zealand's coming from. We've suddenly dived into this relationship, haven't we? We've got this our largest trading partner. We don't understand... Um, the language or the culture nearly to the degree that that we do with our uh, other uh, major trading partners.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's an it's such an interesting sort of um, dichotomy, eh? You know, it's like there's this, there's this enormous and growing superpower. It's a massive consumer of our goods, but the values of China are completely different from what we would consider Western democratic values. There is repression of free speech and it's like, oh, man, this is something that we haven't really grappled with before, I suppose.
1: Yeah, and if you listen to John Key, that's okay, because he's saying, look, it's a mercantile relationship. It's a commercial relationship. And, yeah, look, it's not like our relationship with America and Australia – um, and Britain where we have fought in the same wars and we share the same um, cultural values and we know the same words to the same pop songs and we and we get it with each other. It's a different relationship. It's a commercial relationship. Mm. And if you look at it from his view, and Key's incredibly focused on that, And there's no guile. I think he's completely straight up with his view on that. And other people, and we'd probably be 50-50 split in New Zealand. I I don't know what the numbers are. I'm not sure what what the polling would tell you. But a lot of other people would say, no, we can't be just narrowly focused only on the economic relationship. We we have to factor in those other uh, concerns and considerations. And that's where governments find themselves, isn't it? Because no one's arguing that we should stop trading with China. Well, even the biggest critics, even Anne-Marie Brady, doesn't say we should stop trading with China. I saw a a survey uh, the other day saying... You know, uh, should we stand up to human rights abuses in China, even if it means uh, harming our economy to some degree? And people said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But if you ask someone personally, will you take a 20% pay cut to go and join a protest uh, for the Uyghurs? Mm. Well, you might get a different answer. So who's got skin in the game and what are you going to do about it?
0: It's easy to have values until (laughs) those values are going to screw over either you or someone close to you, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about some of the criticism of the podcast Mm. series. There have been a number of people who have said this is irresponsible, this is xenophobic, this is racist. You must have known that that was going to happen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, conscious of the fact that um, we could be accused of that. Or not so much worry about being accused of stuff, because you always get accused of stuff in, in journalism. Worried that I would you'd stir up. Uh, racial hatred. Very conscious uh, about that, and also, you know, you've got f- effectively two white guys coming in, me and John, two our New Zealanders coming in, and 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 looking at this issue. But it isn't just looking at China, is it? I mean, it's looking at at the CCP as 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 a ruling party of of China, and looking at New Zealand's relationship. So it's a it's a political story as as much as anything else. But having said that. That's why we did go into the homes and um, thoughts and minds of Chinese New Zealanders and some of the most vulnerable ones who are standing up to this power. And that's why we have such weight from someone like uh, Zeming Mok, a New Zealand Chinese writer, who grapples with exactly that feeling in what I think is the sort of crescendo in episode four.
2: People will use any excuse. That's not an excuse for us to not do the right thing. It's kind of cowardly. The Germans went through something after World War Two. They had to assimilate the reality of what they had been responsible for. Chinese people need to deal with that too. Han Chinese. Not everyone's, hardly anyone's ready for that, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Chinese people in this country, even to the extent that they're political, that they're woke, they're left, they want to be aligned with the good guys. They want to talk about colonization, how we all suffered under colonization, like they want to align themselves with the decolonial left. We have to also accept that there is Han supremacy going on. There's a genocide happening in our names for our culture using our language. Yeah, the fact that that's happening is really hurtful because it taints your relationship with your own culture. Will this unleash a
1: tide of racism? She says, look, Chinese New Zealanders have been subject to to racism for, for decades in New Zealand. That isn't good enough. It's not good enough to hide behind that. I'm not saying saying that they are, but she, she says that she says that, that, that we need to confront that and we need to confront what the CCP is doing in places like Xinjiang. And so the idea of saying, oh, look, let's not touch this because we might be accused of being racist isn't good enough in, in her view. And I put a lot of weight and store in that.
0: Yeah, it struck me that there is a clear difference between criticism or questioning the actions of China country run by the CCP, member of the world, community and Chinese people.
1: Absolutely, and wanted to to always make that distinction, um, and hopefully that we have. But I was aware that, you know, people can mix the things together.
0: Well, as you pointed out, again in Episode 3, that is a tool of the Chinese propaganda arm.
1: Well, that's right, and we went to one particular protest uh, following some awful hate crimes in the U.S. where some... Uh, I think it was mainly women who, who, uh, who were shot and killed. It was awful. Um, th- this happened this year, and there was a big protest and protests around the world. And yet, according to our dissident friends um, in the Values Alliance, that protest was in part co-opted by United Front operatives who used that... Uh, to say that any criticism of China is racist.
2: He don't like the Chinese party. Oh, yes. So that means he hates Chinese people, because i telling him I'm Chinese. Mm-hmm. He says,
0: oh, you're not, you're not Chinese, because you Chinese, you belong Chinese party. So what do you think of their protests and their, their criticism of the CCP? Is illegal. Illegal? Illegal in China. In China? Yeah. But OK here? But... Is mm, yes, legal, but, but not uh, ethical. Not ethical? Yeah. They say that groups like this, that, somebody, that the United Front is paying and funding groups like yourself. Is that true?
1: I, I don't know about that. And so that's an easy sort of talking point to shut down debate, isn't it? Oh, we can't talk about the CCP because you're being racist to China. Now really, when you think about that, that, that is an absurd and untenable position, isn't it? Mm. We, we can't we can't say, look, we're not going to talk about Xinjiang, we're not going to talk about Hong Kong, we're not going to talk about the CCP controlling messages from media in New Zealand and around the world, political influence campaigns, uh, donations to political parties, all of those potential impacts on our democratic system, just because we might be accused on Twitter by someone who says, oh, you're racist. Well, I'm sorry. And I am genuinely sorry, if, if anyone faces backlash on that. But we did consider all that. We, we were careful about that, um, but it's too big to ignore.
0: One of the episodes, I think it was the first episode, highlighted the fact that you know there are some university lecturers who felt that there were spies, for lack of a better word, in their classes, and I only really saw this on social media and Twitter is not real life. It's important to remember that. But a lot of people saying, you know, I hope that there was a high ev- evidence base for this, unless you got some Pentagon Papers level stuff. You're not going to prove anything, really. I think, yeah, I think that's right, and and I guess with something
1: like that, you're dealing with, um, in that case, three three lecturers, Noakes, Churchman, and Brady, you know, who are people with with big, strong reputations as as lecturers and and people who have got significant profiles in academia in New Zealand mm. and you know if if they feel that and they are that concerned about it that they are putting their names to it and saying that on tape on the record well that 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 was good enough for me
0: it is quite interesting that there is very little in the series from what you might call the other side of the story not for want of trying
1: we tried to speak to former labor mp raymond hall he never replied the government's only current ethnic chinese mp Nancy chen said go and speak to the foreign minister Nanaya mahuta we went to mahuta she said speak to the prime minister we went to the prime minister's office they said we'll tell mahuta to do the interview and she still refused
0: nobody wanted to talk to you
1: no Why do you think not? Because we're playing this really delicate dance at the moment where basically, okay, they'll take stand-ups, you know, where media are gathered around, take a few questions after a prepared speech, but sitting down and doing an in-depth interview, they don't want to do that. They don't want to go off script. Mm -hmm. That's how sensitive it is for them.
0: There is a lot of opportunity for whataboutism listening to this podcast, you know, listening to a lot of the stuff that China does, send intelligence officers into New Zealand. Well, loads of countries probably have Spies in New Zealand. New Zealand probably has spies in lots of countries around the world. Um, China looking for global domination. What about America? America does a lot of nasty stuff as well. America hasn't covered itself in glory over the past 70 years. Is it different? Is China different?
1: I did I did think that to myself. The main difference I kept coming back to, and I did, I did do that interior monologue that you just did in my head all the time, a couple of things um, that are different. One... Is democracy. You, you can, in those countries that we compare ourselves with and our own, uh, choose a government that has a different um, policy line and will take you away from those things or uh, be more aligned with your own values. Most of us can do that. We can also criticise our own governments mm. and criticise their actions, stand up to them, protest them, say, hey, we shouldn't be going into Afghanistan or wherever it is. And we have, have media that can point out our own flaws. You don't get that. Without a free press, without the ability to protest, without the ability to have a, a, an alternative government, um, you, you take away a hell of a lot. And so to me, that's probably the main difference.
0: That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us, the detail at rnz.co.nz. Alexia Russell produced today's episode and Jeremy Ansel engineered it. And thanks to Guy on Espina. Matewa.